Episode 79 of the Football Fitness Federation podcast is with sports nutritionist Matthew Jones. Matthew came on to talk about his football nutrition philosophy. He spoke about some challenges that he faces with players. And we also touched on nutrition trends um, like veganism and some considerations that players or coaches should make around those trends as well. And then he also touched on the future, his thoughts on the future of sports nutrition too. Now, Matthew goes into great detail in this episode, and we have actually spoke about doing a second episode as well, because there was loads that we spoke about, but loads of areas that we could expand on. So it'd be great to hear the thoughts of you guys in terms of what you want to hear. We've got some ideas on what we could do a part two on, but it'd be great to hear from you as well. And I know that Matthew has got some great information out there online. So his blog, I will talk about at the end of the episode as well, but his blog is Sport Perfects. Dot com. So it's sport and then P-E-R-F-E-X dot com. So go and check out his work. I know he's got some free resources over on that blog as well. Um, so go and check those out and see what they're all about. I just want to say a big thanks. We've had a few more iTunes reviews. So I really appreciate the iTunes reviews. We're getting more and more in at the moment, which is great. So Jack Inman, a, a um, attendee of many of our network meetings, has put... Cannot rate these podcasts highly enough. As a relatively new practitioner, the opportunity to listen and learn from the caliber of practitioners the guys at FFF have on the podcast is brilliant. Loads of takeaways to apply into my own practice. So it's great to hear that from Jack, um, someone that's obviously been to our network meetings when they are running usually. And then there's a few others. Um, this one, great listen, brilliant podcast, Mike Boyle, Darren Burgess and Nick Grantham are some of my favourites so far, um, top stuff, great podcast, having no football during the lockdown is tough, but having this podcast gives me the football fix I need, looking forward to each episode, top work, FFF, so guys, I really do appreciate all these reviews, we're getting more in, like I say at the moment, if you haven't done it already, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review, I really would appreciate it, and we said that the next few reviews are going to get a free copy of our Developing Football Speed ebook. so once you've left the review, send us a screenshot to mail at footballfitfed.com and we'll reply to that email with your free copy of our Developing Football Speed ebook which has our, all of our methodologies on developing speed and it also includes an eight-week speed program as well. So once you've done it, make sure you send us that email and then we'll get you the ebook over to you. I really enjoyed this episode with Matthew. Like I said, there was loads of areas that we could have gone into on top of what we covered and we covered plenty in the episode. So please reach out, let us know what you think. Here is the episode with Matthew. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 79. I'm delighted today to be joined by sports nutritionist Matthew Jones. Matthew, how's things? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Ben. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you, mate. It's um, funny times at the moment, but we're getting on with things. So, um, yeah, always good. Yeah, you can say that again. It's, it's challenging, isn't it? You know, trying to, trying to work from home with a two-year-old kid is, is as challenging as it gets, that's for sure. <laughs> we'll dive into that in a second because obviously I mentioned you're a sports nutritionist but do you want to just take us through your career so far so who you've worked with previously and then take us up to your roles responsibilities to the, at the current day yeah absolutely so I guess like most people working in football like in, in the applied setting I started off as as an aspired, aspiring footballer 
um, played like county standard, uh, tore my ACL twice, um, and meniscus and all those kind of injuries at the age of 17 and 18. Um, it was actually during that injury that my kind of fascination in, in nutrition like began really because I was being treated by physiotherapists and strength conditioning coaches and things like that, but no one ever really told me what to eat. So I found myself getting kind of chubby. <laughs> um, and I, I basically started reading to like fix myself in a way. Um, and yeah, that's really where the, the fascination in nutrition began. And at the time, I didn't really know you could go on and like do that as a career because there, was, well, there wasn't really many sports nutritionists out there. It was obviously dietitians that like dabbled in, in sports nutrition, but it, it was never like a clear, um, a clear pathway. Um, so from there, I went on to do a sports science degree. Uh, uh, yeah, so at Leeds, uh, Leeds Metropolitan Sports Science. I didn't really enjoy many of the aspects of sports science. It was, it was mainly the sports nutrition and physiology that really interested me. So I kind of like snoozed through that uh, until the sports nutrition modules. Um, and then during that, like after, after that, I did a, a master's in uh, nutrition science at uh, University of Chester. So during that time, my fascination and interest in nutrition just kind of escalated year on year, month on month. And uh, during my studies, I was fortunate enough to uh, take on some internships and work placements uh, with the Welsh Rugby Union and Warrington Wolves. Uh, so that obviously was great, great experience. And as a, as a young applied practitioner going into those environments and just working with athletes and just experiencing the, the camaraderie and the, the application of knowledge is, is invaluable, really. Um, and I was able to work with some really top practitioners as well. So I was leaning on like Mark Ellison, for instance, at Warrington Wolves and, and uh, um, Adam Carey at the, uh, the Welsh Rugby Union as well. So I was able to ask questions. Uh, and I was one of those interns that asked the stupidest questions. I was pestering them every single day. Uh, and they, they helped me massively. Um, and I'm thankful for that. Um, so, yeah, that, that really helped me kind of set up or establish myself. So from there, those internships really gave me the confidence to go out into the applied world and, and work as a practitioner. Uh, so I basically set up my own consultancy as a result of that and then started working initially with individuals, so individual athletes. Um, mainly footballers, but also like rugby players as well and rugby league players and also some like members of the general public. So like corporate clients and things like that. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to start working with uh, Sheffield Wednesday a little bit, doing some consultancy work there. Um, and then Stoke City. So Stoke City was actually my first like, big, big club. So I started working with uh, Damien Roden there. Um, and we had some like really incredible years there um, with, with Stoke. It was kind of like the, the golden generation, if you like. We had some great success. That's two or three really great years. And when I look back and reflect on that time, we had an incredible team there. Um, right the way from the, the chef, Carl Engelman, he's now with the England Rugby. Um, and right the way through, obviously, Damien, Joel Dawson, um, Phil, uh, sorry, Paul White, Chalky. Um, he's obviously some, some really incredible people within that team um, and the players as well. That was, that was fantastic. Um, while I was there, I was offered the opportunity to go out and work with a, a, a unit of the armed forces uh, over in Abu Dhabi. So I kind of, to be honest, at that stage, I was like, I was well within my comfort zone. I knew how to like manage nutrition within the United Kingdom, <laughs> within Europe, if you like. I, I knew like the, the habitual diets of British people. 
um, how to kind of manage training, like periodization of nutrition within within football. Uh, but then when I started interacting with like foreign players, so that's when I started to find, oh, wow, this is kind of challenging. So when I was offered that opportunity, I, I kind of took it thinking that this is going to be one hell of a learning experience. I'm going to go out into like the complete unknown uh, in the middle of a desert uh, where people are kind of fighting for their life, not necessarily fighting for a result. Um, so yeah, I, I went over there and I guess I'll touch on that in in a little bit uh, because it, that's probably worth going going back to revisit. But um, th- that was that was yeah an incredible learning experience. I was there for maybe three years living in Abu Dhabi. Um, yeah, it was it was pretty pretty awesome. Um, and then from there, um, I was offered the opportunity to go over to America and work at uh, the University of Oregon. So I was a director of sports nutrition at the University of Oregon for for a period of time and. On reflection, that wasn't the best move for me at the time. Um, so my wife just, well, just fell pregnant basically on <laughs> on the day that we were moving. Um, and uh, I, I mean, you you've got kids, so you kind of know <laughs> the whole pregnancy like roller coaster. Um, so you, you can imagine like the, the culture shock. We went from Abu Dhabi, sitting on beaches and like enjoying a, a fairly relaxed lifestyle, while also being like stimulated in in the sense that I was still working in, in football and things. Um, and then we went to like rainy Eugene, Oregon, uh, and then she was pregnant and it was like a long way from home. And, and like, it was kind of unfortunate because uh, she basically pulled the plug. Uh, she went home. She really didn't like it. Uh, so she went home after maybe like a three, four months. Um, and then from that day onwards, I, I stayed out there and continue or try to continue working there. But, uh, it, it became like really, really challenging for me, and, and to be honest, it really influenced my like mental health. I became like really, really depressed in a way. Uh, well, like, definitely depressed. Like I was like missing scans, like things like that. You know, like things that parents should attend. Um, and then, yeah, it, the only reason I kind of carried on going is because what an opportunity! Like working in one of the biggest uh, colleges, most successful colleges in, in American college sport. Um, like I'm not sure if you've ever been there, but it's probably the most impressive facility I've ever seen. Uh, it's it's it was unbelievable, um, and I was also working with some like really inspiring people as well. Uh, so Jay Delaney, uh, Ben Mackay, there was like really really great people there. Uh, but yeah, so that that was a real challenge for me, um, and it, it kind of came to a point where I had to make a decision. Yeah, this this needs to end. I, I need to go home and, uh, and and be with with my family so uh, then we we moved back uh, moved back to England and uh, took on a role with a consultancy role with Brentford uh, Chelsea women and West Ham um, I actually missed a little bit so while I was out in the Middle East with uh, the UAE I was also working with Stoke City so you can imagine like that this is going to sound ridiculous but like every two to three weeks I was flying back from Abu Dhabi to Stoke uh, to work with them um, and yeah, it was, it was, when I reflect on that, it was the craziest thing ever. I got like so many gold points, like I got to a gold member with the had in the space of, in the space of a year. Um, but yeah, it was, it was pretty, pretty crazy. And um, while I was in the Middle East, I also got offered the opportunity to go and work with uh, the Saudi Arabian national team. So uh, they, um, they were going through the, the qualification process for the, for the World Cup, uh, the 2018 World Cup. 
uh, Jan van Winkel was the, the technical director and Bert van Marek and Mark van Bommel was like the, the coaching staff. Um, and I'd worked with some like Dutch players at, at Stoke and kind of they, they recommended me. Um, so I, I went over there and, and we had like a really successful campaign. We beat Japan in the final qualification game um, and we, we went to, well, qualified for Russia. Uh, only the, the only disappointing fact was about a month later, uh, Bert, the head coach, she failed to agree a new contract. Uh, so none of us actually went to Russia. Um, but yeah, that whole qualification process was, was really, really amazing. Um, again, great learning experience. Um, but yeah, so right now I'm uh, working as, uh, as a consultant with uh, Chelsea women, uh, Brentford and um, West Ham United in the, in the Premier League and also the United Arab Emirates. So also in the World Cup uh, qualification campaign in the Asian qualification groups. Awesome, mate. You've got loads going on and some, some top clubs there. And yeah, you've mentioned um, one of our previous guests on the podcast, Paul White, Chalky at Stoke. And um, we've also yeah. carried on from the first team as well. So loads of familiar names in, in there. Um, what I wanted to ask you, Matt, uh, Matthew, is that with nutrition, it's a really... And we, we had Lauren Bannock on the, on the podcast. I can't remember what episode it was, but uh, quite a few episodes ago now. And I asked him the same sort of question in terms of there's a lot of different views out there. And when you listen to these podcasts, a lot of people will speak from a certain side and they won't give like a neutral point of view and give the information that people need more than what, what they want to tell people. So what's your nutrition philosophy? And also how do you... Um, how do you establish that with, within the clubs that you or players that you work with? Yeah, that's a really good question, and, and that's that's a big challenge. You know, I think it, it, within nutrition, it, it can be quite complex. Um, but I, I think once you understand like the, the physiology behind it and, and the real fundamental nutrition science, I think uh, it, it's relatively easy to to apply it then. Um, but people often get confused, and um, yeah, it, it can get really complex. So if, if we kind of step away from my nutrition philosophy, my, my overarching philosophy as a practitioner is, can be kind of described as um, simple, meaningful, and with purpose. Uh, so simple is kind of like the, the way that I deliver things. So it has to be digestible. It has to be actionable and, and easily understood. Um, so f- for instance, like practitioners can often get kind of caught up in using scientific jargon. Um, and there is no kind of bonuses for using scientific jargon in the applied world. You don't get like a cash prize for saying muscle protein synthesis or anything like that. Like when you're working with, with athletes, you have to, you have to really like translate that into words that or things that they're going to understand. So like build or growth and repair, not, not, it might look great on paper, muscle protein synthesis, but in terms of the real world, the application of that build growth and repair is a much better way of describing that kind of thing. Um, so it also has to be actionable. So you need to be able to talk in the, the language of food, um, and not the language of like macronutrients. So for something to be actionable, the recommendation can't be, you need to eat 30 grams of carbohydrate. It's, you need to eat two pieces of bread or like three spoonfuls of rice, you know? So 30 grams of carbohydrate might be a great recommendation, but that's not actionable a player can't go away and action that. So my, my, like the start of my philosophy is that, that simple. It has to be actionable, easy to understand. Um, and that's where you get real, real success. Because if, if you deliver those messages, um, 
it's, it is, it's actionable and, and they're going to be able to use that and apply that. Uh, again, coming out of university, some practitioners, they get, they get caught up in the, uh, the research mind and kind of the, too much of the, the technical aspects of it. Uh, you, you then need to by kind, of, kind of progress along uh, the process um, and make, make that recommendation actionable. Uh, so what is it that they're actually going to be able to go away and apply? Um, that's, that's what they want to know, really. They don't really care about the science and stuff. Um, from there, you've got the meaningful elements. Uh, so meaningful, so that's kind of where my, my, my philosophy, my, my technical philosophy comes in. So obviously evidence-based or, or evidence-informed, as, as Lauren would uh, rightly put it. Um, so everything has to kind of be kind of well-backed with, with uh, sufficient evidence. Uh, and, and don't intervene for the sake of it. Uh, so obviously with all the technology and supplements we have available to us, like people can kind of go a little bit gung-ho and, and go like too far into things. And so it, everything has to be meaningful. It has to, it has to serve a, a function. Um, uh, and then, um, then obviously the, the final part would be like the human element. So the, the purpose, so the, the coaching element. So it's, it's like you have to deliver messages with purpose, with, with vigor, with, they have to know you care. You have to have a relationship with them. Um, and, and yeah, so the, the, that's the three kind of elements of my overarching philosophy, really. So simple, meaningful and with purpose. Uh, but if we go more into like the, the technical um, philosophy, so obviously we kind of touched on it. So evidence based, uh, individualized, so meeting the needs uh, of the individual, both for them as an individual. So every individual has unique requirements, obviously, depending on their, their like anthropometry, their age, gender, uh, things like that, um, activity levels. Uh, but then also they have different needs uh, from sport to sport and position to position as well. And um, like whether they're injured or not. So everything has to be bespoke to, to the individual. Um, so, yeah. Um, and then uh, in terms of um, my, my, my practice, I also have like a, a cyclical approach. So everything starts with analysis. So the first kind of month or so of me going into a new club or working with a new, a new client is all about analysis, me learning about that individual, finding out what they do, what, what their comfort zone is, like what, um, what, what the habitual diet looks like, um, finding out what challenges they face, uh, who cooks for them, uh, who's their biggest influences, what their support network is. Um, th yeah, I think things like that. And then it moves on to, so once you have that analysis, you've got like all the information you need. Uh, you can then develop an intervention, like a specific intervention. Uh, that intervention can be anything from like a weight gain, body composition things, or, or like optimizing performance on game day or like, various different interventions and then it loops around so with sufficient uh, education support that kind of loops back around uh, back into the analysis phase so it's kind of like a, a cyclical uh, process it continues to evolve continues to uh, to learn uh, you learn from your own mistakes you learn from the, the mistakes of of the individual and uh, it continues to evolve and progress so it never really stagnates um so that, that's kind of like my, my philosophy and, and, and my philosophy as a practitioner, but then potentially even uh, my, my technical uh, philosophy as well. Um, and then moving on to like the how, how to establish that within a club, that, that's, uh, that's, that's, that can be a real challenge on one hand, but then it can also be like relatively easy and relatively quick. 
but it all boils down to um, like relationships so and trust. So if I go back to my work at, at Stoke City um, and also the Saudi Arabian uh, national team, it was it was really easy um, because I had relationships there. I had I established a relationship with Damien Roden within about a month. Uh, I had his trust, and he or he already had the trust of all the players. So if he trusted me, the players trusted me. So I, I got like great success quite early on there. Um, and also uh, at the Saudi national team, like I had the trust of the coaches and staff. I had the trust of uh, Jan van Winkel. Um, so I was able to then kind of establish my philosophy quite quickly and quite easily. Um, on the other hand, though, I've, I've also experienced some um, kind of environments where it's been nigh on impossible to, um, to uh, like establish, um, establish a, a philosophy. So if I, go back to Abu Dhabi, so the, the military setting. Obviously, it's a hierarchical environment. Um, I went in with no military background. Um, I was a, a civilian. Um, I wasn't ranked. I was I was basically like on the same level as like a pot washer, basically. No one knew what no one knew what I was there for. They had no kind of understanding of how nutrition might impact them when they were at war. Um, they just wanted to kind of go and, and, and fight the battle in Yemen and kind of come home to their families and maybe get a promotion up the ranks. Uh, they, they, the, the physical element didn't really come into their mind at all. So I literally spent six months like in, in an office just basically being ignored by everyone. Uh, I had these high hopes, um, I, like, these aspirations. I had on my computer all these um, incredible interventions that were about to like change the world. Um, but... I just couldn't apply them because no one was there listening to me. So um, it reached a stage where I kind of like walked out of my office and looked around a little bit, kind of started to study what they did. So I like, found out a little bit more about them. And I, I realized every morning uh, they went to do uh, like a jujitsu um, like training in the morning. Um, so it, it's like jujitsu in, in the military in the UAE is, is big. They, they have to do it every morning and they get kind of, um, they get promotions off the back of it. So obviously they invest a lot of time and effort into it. Um, and they, most of them were pretty good actually. Um, and they really enjoyed it. So I thought to myself, okay, well, if I'm going to establish a relationship, I'm going to have to go and get involved in that jujitsu class. So for the next six months, so obviously I'd spent six months already like twiddling my thumbs. Um, so I, I kind of committed myself to six months of getting choked out for every single day um getting beat up like black eyes uh, all sorts um but that really did work because we shared an experience uh, we sh we shared an interest it started conversations the, the conversation started with um like how how are you did, did you see the football on the weekend to it actually progressed after six months i was invited to one of their houses um and one of one of the sheikhs actually came to the house and we we had a meal and everything so it's it's pretty remarkable how like strong and powerful relationships are, um, but you just need to know how to how to make them and how to build those relationships because once once you build them, they're like almost unbreakable. You know, you, you think about yourself with with friends, um, like you, you couldn't have friends for for years and years. You might not talk to them for years and years, but that relationship is there. They they still trust you, um, and it's, it's difficult to break then. Um, yeah. So Sorry, mate. I think that's really important because it's it's something that a lot of previous guests have talked about in terms of relationships, and we do probably speak about it in we cover it 
to a certain degree in every single episode. But I think it's really fascinating to actually delve into how you practically went about it in terms of going into a situation. Because I, I was laughing when you said about being sat in the office with and everyone ignoring you because the amount of sports scientists and S&C coaches that will be out there at, co- at clubs that will be going through the exact same thing as what you've done, um, they'll, they'll, take, they'll relate to that situation. So I think it's fast, really fascinating that you, you then have to put yourself out there to, yeah. to get this um, relationship built and then obviously you can start implementing the things you want to implement from there. Yeah, 100%. I've, I've experienced, so off the back of that learning within that environment, I've, I've like kind of used that same principle in, in football as well. So you, you've got to make yourself vulnerable, you know? Like if you go into a new club, the, the head coach, he probably looks at you and think, oh, Jesus, not another one of these mad scientists. Uh, I obviously fit the mad scientist bill. Um, so you've got to really kind of make yourself vulnerable. And if, if, if you see them going into the gym at 5 a.m. in the morning, go and, go and join them. Because that's when a conversation is going to start. And you, you don't really know where that conversation is going to end. It could end really badly, but the chances are it's going to, it's going to progress and it's going to re- result in a relationship. And, and nothing bad ever came out of a, a, out of a decent relationship, you know. So, um, yeah, I think uh, relations... Like Fergus Connolly obviously talks like massive, like widely about this and a lot of people do as well. And it's not unique to football. Uh, it's not, not un- unique to sport. If you, you look at like the, the best performing industries in, in the world, the best performing companies in the world, they all have at the core strong relationships, you know, and a buzz around the environment that they're working in and people buzz off each other. Um, so, yeah, it, it's all, all ties back to that. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think one thing to cover, because this really fascinates me as well, and I've spoke to a lot of people that have worked across different cultures. Laurent was obviously one where we spoke about the World Cup specifically, and they were the players were fasting. It's something that we probably don't be, we're not exposed to as much working in, in the UK. Uh, there might be a few players, but as a whole, we were not really exposed to it. So I found that really fascinating. But speaking to different co- coaches that have worked in different cultures, what I'd like to know is is what you've taken from a culture and that you apply in your current role with the with the clubs over in the UK. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's a great question. So, actually, like right right at the start in the introduction, I actually missed um, missed one of the clubs. I, I actually was fortunate enough to go and work uh, on an Exos contract with um, CR Flamengo uh, over in in Rio, um, and that was like while I was working. Uh, like with Stoke so it was kind of like a consultancy role as well so that was uh, two seasons um, it was that was remarkable and I guess the the learnings from that working within that culture is it, it really gave me perspective of what the performance department is uh, we're dealing with like performers like Brazilians South American footballers that they are 100% performers they just want to get the ball they don't really care about the gym they don't care about what food they eat uh, they just want to go out and perform. Um, so that really get, gave me some perspective on, okay, well, I just need to focus on getting the big rocks in place. I don't need to kind of die, like delve too much into the fine details. Um, as long as the big rocks are in place and, and people are being consistent with that, um, that then you're gonna, that's going to allow them to perform to the, be- their, the best of their ability consistently over the course of the season, uh, which is ultimately what, what the objective is. Uh, their, their performers we need to get them to perform as, as frequently as possible to the best of their ability so I guess that's that's my learning from from that culture um, 
so it gave some real great perspective of the of the kind of the the purpose of uh, the performance department and then from um from like working over in america and, and also the middle east um i think the the learnings there are like you have to kind of see past the the cultural aspects of meals so uh, like a, a mixed meal or, or, or a well-balanced meal in the Middle East is like chicken biryani. Uh, a well-balanced meal in um, America is like a burger. And if you look at like the, the macronutrient composition and the nutrient profile of both of those things, they're, they're pretty similar, you know? Um, so you have to look past the the food and the, or the, the vehicle in which those nutrients are delivered. And you have to see like macronutrients, carbohydrate and, and, and indiv- individual nutrients, you know? So, uh, it's not necessarily because if you start focusing on the the vehicle in which those nutrients are delivered, you can kind of like get kind of stressed out. Because I, I was um, obviously British, used to like meat and two veg uh, going over there, and it was like it's completely different. Um, and I, one thing that you cannot do is you cannot change their culture. So change the menu and try and add European foods and things like that. That that's that's an absolute no no. Um, you you have to align everything with what they're culturally used to. Um, and that's, I guess we can kind of touch on that in a little bit, but that's where I think I, I kind of disagree with the whole stepping outside the comfort zone thing. Um, I, I've got some things that I'll probably discuss in, in a little bit about that. But yeah, so th- the cultural learnings from there is you've got to respect their their culture and, and their practices and, and realize that, okay, well, th- they're high performers They've been performing to like a, a pretty high level um, throughout their careers. Um, so don't necessarily think you're going to go in there and, and change things and, and they're going to all of a sudden become like world class or like a, a really elite performer or, or an even better performer because the, the reality is that that's not going to happen. Um, you just need to yeah, really just get some perspective really. And um, yeah. I just wanted to give you a couple of quick updates on our online community. So if you go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, you can sign up for a free month on our community, um, which includes a number of different webinars. It's got some of our previous network meeting presentations from a number of different coaches on there, as well as an interactive forum where you can chat with other practitioners as well. So we have just uploaded Hamish Munro's webinar which is on velocity based training in professional football superb webinar from Hamish some great information in terms of velocity based training how he uses it and some of his thoughts and opinions around uh, velocity based training as well so go and check that out on the on the community we've also uploaded the video forms of podcast uh, 77 with the head of performance at Dortmund Andreas Beck and also episode 76 with Head of Sports Science at Motherwell, Andy Bowles. So you can go and check those out as well. They're available on the community and there's loads of information on there. So if you do sign up to the community, footballfitfed.com, click the community tab. Make sure you go through the whole sign-up process. It will then give you a free month on the community so you can see what it's all about. If you want to stay a member after that month, it is only £4.99 per month and you will get on-demand access to all the information that's on there right now, plus future webinars and future network meeting presentations as well when we can get back into the network meetings post-lockdown. So go and check it out footballfitfed.com click the community tab sign up there and get your free month 
Here's part two of the episode with Matthew Jones. Yeah, I think it's, um, I mean, I don't know whether you, you get this a lot, but when, when I was working in football more full time in a full-time role, it was a, a lot of players must come up to you all the time and start naming meals that they're having. Is this good? Is that good? And um, this is what I have for breakfast. Is this what I should eat? Or And that, that seems to be the way, doesn't it, with nutrition, that people think that you're going to turn around and go, actually, no, you should eat this. And, and you say the same thing to everyone, whereas there's a lot of different considerations that you've got to make, isn't there? Like you've already named the meeting the needs before and all the different things you've got to take into consideration, the, the likes of the player, the, the sport, the position, yeah. the injury. There's a lot more to it. And I think that, and we have it in, in S&C, sports science a lot, that the answer of it depends probably drives people mental. Um, yeah. Not able to give a one-second answer. But that is the whole point behind nutrition, isn't it? And like you've just said, different cultures eat different ways. You're not going to turn around and tell someone in the States to eat the same way as you do over here. And you've got to try and find that balance, haven't you? Yeah, exactly. And and, and that's where you can go quite wrong, to be honest. And, and if, if you do get it wrong, then you lose the players, you lose that relationship, and then you can quickly get kicked out the door. So it's, it's really important that you don't make that mistake. Um, the, the way that I like to describe nutrition to players to kind of get them over the fact that a single meal is not good or bad, they, they wake up each day with, with an empty tank and they have a unique set of requirements, uh, requirements for energy, carbohydrate, protein, fat, vitamins, minerals, and water. And your, your goal is to meet those requirements. So a single meal is not going to do it. Two meals is not going to do it. Three meals, you're going to get close. Four meals, like with snacks and whatever, you're going to be even closer. So you can't ask me if, if a one meal at breakfast is good or bad because like the reality is it, it depends, as you just said. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a challenging question. And, and I think it's one of the most frustrating things about nutrition because people want a, a certain answer. They want de- like a definitive answer. Um, but we, we can't give it. But there are people that do give it. There, there are people that do say, yes, uh, that's, that's a bad meal. Uh, but that, that's wrong. You know, it's completely wrong. And that's where all the confusion comes in. That there, are, there is no definitive answer to that question um, because it, it really depends. It, obviously, the context behind which that meal is consumed, uh, the, the con- the, that meal relative to the other meals you've consumed, that meal relative to your requirements and like, yeah, there's loads of different variables and factors that, that are at play um, that makes it very confusing. So how do you manage that? Because we talk a lot in terms of um, S&C, sports science, in terms of managing the individual within the team setting. So obviously with the, the, the amount of players you're working with at the moment, I think you mentioned three squads that you're working with currently. So there's a lot of players yeah. there. Are you looking at the individual approach for every single player throughout those squads? Or obviously, have you got some sort of system in place that make, makes it a little bit easier, I suppose, to carry out your philosophy? Yeah, and, and this is where I could do with like a, a graphic to kind of explain it in a way. So if you imagine like... Well, sorry, Matthew, just, not, just on that, if you've got it, I'll add it onto the YouTube video. But if you want yeah, to subscribe yeah, cool. it for the, awesome. the guys that are listening on audio and I'll add it onto the video. Yeah, yeah, cool. So if you imagine you've got like a, a, a ring in the center, so like the central ring, uh, and then another ring outside that, and then another one. Um, so ideally, all the players would kind of like function within that ring, that central ring. And that's basically where they're, they're performing well, their body composition is great, they've got no nutrition-related issues. They're just kind of like free-flowing. 
within that circle. They just evolve within that circle. We don't need to really intervene that much because they're within that central circle. It, when they drop out of that circle into the outer, into the, the next ring, then we can start, okay, well, we need to action something here that they're starting to like flag. It might be a hydration issue. It might be a body composition issue. It might be something else. And then they go into the, the even further into the next ring, which is like the red ring, if you like. And that's where, okay, well, we need to have like an individual in intervention now. Uh, so in terms of like going back to the, the initial kind of philosophy, really, like it, things have to be meaningful. Like, like people often like to talk about individual programs for, for footballers. But the reality is that in my early days, I developed individual programs for footballers and they, they, they might work for a week. But the reality is that they're not going to work for long. So you start you need to focus more on behaviors and habits um, and making sure that they're just hitting kind of like general guidelines because if you get like a prescriptive program um it's all well and good following that for a week but then your missus cook something else and you're like oh jesus I, I, that's not on my program so like people like like to talk about individual programs but i only utilize in like really really individual programs if someone falls out of that inner circle um if they're in that in, inner circle then like the reality is just touching base with them seeing if everything's okay just trying to keep them within that inner circle really um, I, and then, yeah, I, as you say, with, with three clubs, it's, it's incredibly challenging, but that kind of process and that, that practice really helps because you'll often only get like two, maybe three players dropping outside of that inner ring, uh, within, within a squad. So you don't have to intervene all that much. And if you shape the environment properly within that inner circle, they, the default position is the, is the right one. So obviously, if you have the menu set up, if it's periodized properly throughout the week to align with training, um, all that kind of thing, um, and if the recovery interventions are, are correct and the game day strategies are okay, um, and they're well-educated. So we have quite a, like a, a systematic education system. So each season starts with, Obviously, from a physical perspective, it starts with testing, but there's also nutrition testing. So we have nutrition knowledge questionnaires. Um, off the back of that, they kind of go off in their own separate directions. Okay, well, you don't know how to cook an egg. Let me teach you how to cook an egg. Uh, you don't know like what a carbohydrate is. I'm going to spend a year talking to you about carbohydrate. Um, so that education system really helps them like exist within that kind of central zone, if you like. Um, and... So yeah, that education system, I didn't really touch on that much, but that, that forms a big, big part of, of, uh, of what we do. Um, so it, it's really like programming and periodizing education around the individual uh, because everyone comes from different nationalities, different countries, different backgrounds. They, they all have different understanding of, of nutrition. So um, it's really important that we shape the education around that individual. Uh, one thing, again, one of the big mistakes that I learned early on was you can't try and get everyone in one room and try and present to them as a group because it just fails. Because you'll get one person that knows about carbohydrate and you're talking to them about carbohydrate and then they become bored and they start flicking things at, like flicking bogeys at their friend, at the other players, and then they get really distracted and, and it just destroys everything. So no one learns anything. Um, so I, I quickly realized, oh, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, this is not going to work. Um, I, I actually kind of, the, some players at Stoke city, um, not naming any names, but, um, yeah. Uh, so from there we, um, just went with the, with the individual route. Sometimes it's like focus groups. So smaller groups, 
Um, so you'll have like goalkeepers, for instance, or like strikers or so people with similar, uh, similar like education needs. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, and I know you've touched on a few already and, and you might have covered the main ones, but in terms of challenges that you face working with players, um, are there any, and you have mentioned some already that players not being able to cook and things like that, but what are some of the, are there any other key ones that you face with players that you have to sort of tackle? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's probably what makes the job so interesting, really. Like, no, no day is ever the same. Um it's it's obviously challenging and stimulating like as as we mentioned off air really i think um most players have good intentions so they if they take on like a, a vegan diet or or a vegetarian diet or any any form of diet i think it's with good intentions to try and improve um they're just not educated in how to kind of like find the best information you know they'll probably go on google and do a quick google search and or they'll rely on media messages or, or marketing and things like that and um or friends uh, or their their wife and and so you've got to understand their support network and and your education is not just for that that single athlete it's for this for the whole family um and for their whole support network so when you're giving out recipes make sure that you're giving it to their wife as well because make sure it's interesting for her because the reality is she's going to cook it um, so yeah, there's, there's so many different challenges and I, I think it all stems from a lack of understanding, like fundamental understanding of nutrition. Um, and I, I think, um, in, in time, hopefully, uh, with the more investment in like nutrition education within academies now, like you'll see most academies, uh, at least within the premier league and, and championship and, and also maybe down in the lower leagues as well, they'll have they'll have like either a full-time or a consultant nutritionist and they're doing some really, really incredible work. Um, I mean, I see on, on social media, they're getting like 13 year olds to cook things and um, like, it, it's incredible. So hopefully by give it like maybe five, 10 years, those players are then going to filter into the first team and then we're not going to have as many of those challenges. Um, obviously we still will because otherwise it will be quite boring. But, um, but yeah, I mean, most of those, most of those issues, like obviously we had the, the most recent one, the, the vegan, the vegan trend. Um, I think it comes with good intentions, uh, but they don't really consider the consequences and they don't know how to manage it all that well. Um, so as, as, uh, as a nutritionist, I need to, I need to learn from sales and marketing. So like some of my biggest influences in recent years have been books like made to stick, um, and like the power of moments and, like um, how to win friends and influence people and, and things like that. So some, some real powerful books outside of, outside of sport um, made to stick was probably like one of the best uh, I would say in, in, in recent times. Um, and obviously start with why that was, that was a, that was a good one, but yeah, cause we're ultimately we're competing with marketing and, and sales of, of supplements of different nutrition products. So if we want to compete with them or outcompete them, we need to be better than them. Um, so we need to be better at them than at like um, delivering messages, de delivering nutrition information. Um, so yeah, le learning from learning from sales and marketing is 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 a big thing. And um, and then I guess uh, another thing I, I'm a big believer in is um, not necessarily like stepping outside the comfort zone, but expanding the comfort zone. 
Uh, I think it's probably different in uh, in nutrition than other things, but we are creatures of habit. We like what we do and we do what we like. And I think if you get someone to step outside of their comfort zone, I, I've often seen that, that that's not really that effective um, in in nutrition. In terms of behavior change, I, I like to phrase it as expand your comfort zone. So you need to kind of uh, create like a, a progress ladder, if you like, um, and don't necessarily phrase it as step outside your comfort zone because that kind of stimulates anxiety and, and fear. Um, and ultimately, they're going to run back to their comfort zone. So, um, yeah, developing a progress ladder that kind of allows them to expand that comfort zone. So, I mean, week one could be they, they could start off eating like Rice Krispies or Cocoa Pops. Um, so week two, OK, well, why not try porridge? Uh, week three, what, can you add raspberries to that porridge? And then, you know what I mean? So you're, you're expanding that comfort zone. You're not, you're not really changing, like making wholesale changes. Uh, we know that eventually, um, like the, the gold standard meal might be like including some protein and eggs and stuff like that in, in the breakfast. But the reality is I want to try and expand their comfort zone, um, rather than getting them to jump from A to B. Um, and then they're probably going to drown and then swim back to A. Um, but I've kind of gone a little bit off topic there, but that, I, that's kind of how, how I deal with them, uh, with, with the, with the trends and stuff. And, and yeah, there are, there are so many and you have to understand the source of those trends. So obviously with the, uh, with the, with the vegan thing, it was the, um, the documentary. Um, so you have to kind of educate them on, on that documentary and like find out where that information came from and then examine it and, um, present it to them uh, in a different way and get them to like fully understand it. Um, but yeah, th- there's so, there's so many challenges, like some common issues that I've seen among like elite players is uh, failure to consume enough carbohydrate, um, failure to consume enough calories in, in general. Uh, I think there's a big negative connotation around, um, around carbohydrate intake. Uh, again, kind of stemming from the media, pro- probably from their wife as well. Um, or, um, so yeah, they're, they're two big things. And then hydration is a big one as well. Um, obviously, if they're, if they're playing um, FIFA on the PlayStation, they don't want to like waste time, pause the game and take a big glug of water. They, they prefer just to kind of continue playing FIFA so they get pretty dehydrated in those circumstances. I think there's some great points in there. And, and the, I, I love the expanding the comfort zone. I think that's, that's a really great analogy because... I think a lot of times when we do just try and stamp this new program on a player and we say, right, you, you bet like this one play, uh, one day, but then day two, you're going to eat complete, completely new um, way of approaching things and this is your new diet. It, it, it can be really hard, can't it? And we're all creatures of habit. Like, and I think when you touch on habit, I think that's really important. Um, yeah, I, I guess one of the downsides of football really is we don't often have the time to, to establish that like progress ladder. Um, I mean, if, if, so if you go back to the, the, the circle thing that I was talking about, if a player drops out of that circle and the, the gaffer or the, the head coach sees it, he'll be like, well, he needs to get back in that circle within two weeks or like he's getting fined. So I've got two weeks to get this like ladder to get progress ladder and it, it's just not enough time. Um, so yeah, f- football is kind of creates, well, creates a, a difficult environment to establish those behavior change models, but, um, yeah, you do your best. I think the other the other side of it where there needs more education, from my point of view, especially in football, is that when you're talking there about 
players cooking with the wives and the wives liking the food and all that sort of stuff and then being influenced by certain trends and things like that that might come from family, friends. Essentially, and it obviously depends on the personal circumstance, but those wives, those friends aren't necessarily professional footballers that have got to go out and perform at a weekend. And that's the difference, isn't it? The way that the wife or friend could treat nutrition, it needs to be very... It needs to be quite different to how a professional footballer is going to step out onto a pitch every weekend and perform uh, day after day, game after game. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I mean that—that's kind of where it boils down to the education of like, getting a player to understand their unique requirements. Um, you've got to the player has to understand that they're not a member of the general public. They need more carbohydrate. They need more fuel. Um, so, like one of the ways I describe it, you have like petrol tanks like this in your muscle every time you eat carbohydrate it goes up every time you like do a sprint or any powerful activity it drops Um, and when it drops like completely you've got no fuel left and you can't you can't do those high intensity actions and then you feel fatigued and your performance suffers so you've got to get them to understand how different they are to the the, a member of the general public and and, like a sedentary individual their their tank it is not going to drop at all really um, so yeah, get, getting them to understand the differences between them and their friends and them and, um, and, and their family members is, is really, really important. Um, and obviously from a supplement perspective, it can become really challenging as well because obviously they, uh, they run the risk of like a failed drugs test if they take the same supplements as their friends. Uh, I mean, this period that we're in now makes it really challenging because, um, that some of them have been influenced by their friends and obviously the, the immune system has become a big com- topic of conversation and their friends are taking like these different herbs and things and like wacky supplements uh, and then recommending it to players and then fortunately for, for me that the players are quite open and honest and they'll they'll send pictures and say well is this okay to, for me to take but I can imagine there's there's other clubs where that doesn't happen um, and there, 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 there might be some obviously some real repercussions there um, yeah yeah definitely I think that's a really important point so just to sort of wrap up the, the trends section because I think this is quite an important part because it, it's very current like you said there's been documentaries out there where it's sort of caught people's attention um, but in terms of if a player turns around to you and says I- I'm thinking about trying a vegan diet or a vegetarian diet what what sort of things would you get them to consider what what are some key considerations that they need to try and make yeah a good question first and foremost like i'd kind of ask them like why like what what the purpose of it is um and obviously it could be like just just an interest or it could just or it could be like an, an ethical choice or things like that so you have to establish like why why they want to do it um and i wouldn't necessarily say okay well you can't do it um like I'd present the various pieces of information. Okay, well, like a vegan diet is generally lower in calories, so you're going to have to eat, like the volume of food is going to have to increase uh, to meet your calorie requirements. Uh, obviously, you have the protein issue, um, so the quality of the protein, the, the amino acid profile is going to be like considerably different from, from animal sources, uh, so for, from plant sources, sorry. Um, and then you, you move on to like the micronutrients. So things like calcium is less bioavailable in, in plants and, and iron and things like that. So I, I think once you, once you present that data and you present the potential consequences, that it, it can get them to think, okay, well, maybe this is not the, the best choice for me. Um, 
if they're if they're still interested, then fair enough, we can we can make a program. Um, but if if they are still interested, then they kind of fall outside that outer ring because it's then a red flag for me. Um, because the reality is they don't know how to manage that properly. Um, so we're going to have to have like a, a bespoke program for them. Um, obviously, we're going to have to increase their energy intake from like fats and things like that and get carbohydrate is generally not an issue with the vegan diet um it's the the um the micronutrients and, and the protein that's the uh the particular issue so in many cases like um at least initially you'll see like players maintaining performance or um or kind of maybe even improving their performance because they're eating more carbohydrate and they've kind of got that halo effect of of the diet itself they're following like a trendy diet so they, they feel good they've got that like mental mental side of it psychological side of it um but then obviously over time uh the failure to meet the protein requirements that starts to kick in and that you, you drop drops in lean mass and then uh, you start experiencing those uh, those side effects so yeah fr- from the get-go you have to present the diet in all it's like in its entirety uh, show them what it consists of did you know that you can't eat eggs? Eggs are your favorite food. Did you know that? You can't, you can't eat that. And oftentimes they, they don't know that. They're like, oh, well, I, I thought you could eat eggs. No, uh, you can't eat chocolate either. Oh, oh no. Um, so yeah, pre- present it like what they can and can't do, the consequences. Um, and then if you like build the program for them, um, the likelihood is they'll probably follow it for two weeks and then get bored and just go back to their the, the normal comfort zone. And I know you mentioned before about one of the challenges being the amount of calories, and it probably caught a few people's attention because a lot of people are talking about lowering lowering calories a lot for like the general population, people eating uh, low calorie food. But again, we're not talking about sedentary people; we're talking about athletes. And I think it'd be great to get your perspective where you worked in um, with the armed forces as well, because obviously these are guys that are going into battle. They've got to be fueled. You can't be sending them in on deficits or anything like that because it, at the end of the day yeah. who cares if they've got a six pack they're going into essentially a war so if people are or players are lower on and I know they're not going to know this just by off the top of the head but if players are looking to um, eat more to try and get more into the system what would be some strategies you'd use with players yeah so I mean first and foremost you can just look at uh, altering the the serving size of their normal meals so obviously the, the 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 objective is to create a surplus of energy like that's the the primary objective uh, we can do that in various different ways uh, so obviously you can play with the habitual diet so don't make too many changes just kind of keep them within their comfort zone they're used to eating these meals just add an extra spoon of carbohydrate or add a little bit more protein or add a little bit more fat. So when they're going to like make a meal, they, they're used to having like mashed potatoes and steak. So they can have like three spoons of mashed potatoes if they normally have like one spoon, for instance. And th- that's going to maybe add like two, 250 calories maybe um, to, that, to that one meal, not, not just with the potatoes, obviously, but if they like add that principle. And then over the course of a day, um, it's going to create a surplus. Um, we can also focus on snacks because obviously if you like increase the size of meals, then appetite will become an issue and like players feel really full and heavy. Um, so t- make, take an advantage of uh, snacks or in between meals. Um, so can we add some like nutrient rich snacks? So like 
you can make like something as simple as like toast and uh, peanut butter. Something as simple as that. That's a real easy way to add uh, additional calories. And uh, most of them now will have blenders. You can blend fruits, some milk and uh, yeah, and some peanut butter as well if you need additional calories. Um, and then before bed as well. Uh, there's an opportunity there to consume some some protein, and obviously yogurt is a is a great example in that in that circumstance. Um, so yeah, uh, just find out what what the individual's habitual diet looks like. Find out where the opportunities lie. Can they add more to to an existing meal, um, or can we add add in some extra snacks? And uh, like drinking calories is pretty easy. Um, so obviously, like energy containing drink fluids so smoothies milk um flavored milk things like that awesome i could talk about this stuff all day matthew and i don't want to i don't want to keep you all day because i know you right. no, trust me, I, I could as well trust me like this this, <laughs> this, uh, this this topic gets me fired up i mean in in the early days like you wouldn't believe how like obsessed i was on nutrition like in the in university it was it was getting kind of scary really i was not going out on nights out because i was like reading papers and uh when i was at um university of of chester we like during the week obviously we we went to university but on the weekends i'd meet up with a guy called joseph agu um he's a a nutritionist as well and uh we just used to sit sit in starbucks literally from 9 a.m till till the time it closed and just talk about nutrition and like yeah it became it became a bit of a bit of a bit of a problem uh, i was just like a, a social retard in a way no it's it i think it's important just because I, my passion with it comes from the fact that the, the information out there is just so confusing so i always think that if we could do anything to sort of clear it up and give people some perspectives and try and give them similar similar circumstances to what they're in and the way they're thinking and i think it's really important which is unfortunately what a lot of these documentaries don't do. They just add to the confusion a lot of the time, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think one of the big issues there, though, is the the truth is kind of boring. Um, like, <laughs> it really is. Like, if you try and explain, like, a balanced diet to to a member of the general public, by, by the second sentence, they're probably asleep on the floor. You know, it's, it's, it really is, like, boring. Uh, whereas the, the the trends and things they're, they're really exciting and, and they get you like quite stimulated they get you bought into it so I think that's where we uh, well myself as a nutrition practitioner that's where we have to learn from these marketing guys and these sales guys um, and we have to take take those messages like made to stick is a big one the power of moments um, all those kind of things how, how do we make our messages sticky and how do we make a message stick in their mind so when they go home like four hours later they're still thinking about it how how do like we make them resonate with our messages um yeah that's that's a, that's a big thing yeah definitely and uh, the other thing i wanted to ask sort of to bring the podcast to, to a close is in terms of the the future the future for yourself um in terms of, of where you see that going um whether you've got any sort of speaking engagements obviously it's a little bit different right now in terms of in personal in person ones but any speaking engagements or anything coming up but also the future sports nutrition and the approach yeah so um the future for myself obviously i'm uh, still working at the, the various clubs I, I really enjoy i'm fortunate enough to work with some incredible clubs and some incredible athletes as well i mean we're in like different positions so w- with brentford we're obviously pushing for promotion with with uh, chelsea women we're 
second in the league, well, with a game in hand. So we're, we're pushing for the, the, the trophy there. Uh, multiple trophies, actually. So we could even win the treble. And then West Ham, we're kind of in a, in a bit of a, a battle down at the bottom. So we're, we're all in different different positions. So they all bring about different challenges. So um, in terms of myself, we continue continue working with them. I, I guess longer term, though, I'd like... Um, I'd like the the idea of having like a full time role in in uh, sports nutrition. Uh, I, I don't think like consultants are as open or as honest about this as they probably should be. I know that um, uh, Rob Pacey, I think he put a, a few tweets out the other day about it, like obviously open enough about his experiences, and and I would kind of echo his thoughts really. And th- there are like massive massive bonuses. Obviously, as a consultant, I've been able to work like anywhere in the world like I literally get phone calls like all the time uh with different opportunities and and as a consultant I can I can take them um but then on the flip side uh you you have to be on all the time when when I go into West Ham like and the, the, the I have to be on it like I have I have to perform because I'm only there for a few days and like if I don't perform then I'm I'm dispensable you know um, and and the uh, the clubs that you work for, they don't really take into account the fact that you've had to travel like from various different places. Uh, they don't account for the fact that you've got a two year old kid who's like keeping you up at night, you know. So uh, as a full time employee, I think they're probably a little bit more like lenient on that, you know. Uh, but um, as as a consultant, it's it's really challenging. So and I also think I'm more effective um, as a full time employee. I think if you look at like the the top clubs in the Premier League. Most of them will have a full-time uh, nutritionist, um, and they're obviously doing a really, really great job. Um, so, not that I want to stop working with uh, all the clubs that I'm working with, because I really enjoy every every single one of them. So, and, and if I was offered a full-time job, it would be incredibly difficult. But I, I think for me, um, in, and, and my and my family as well, that would be a, uh, that would be a better move, uh, certainly. Um, and then, yeah, just as, as a, as a practitioner, just continue to learn, continue to, uh, be passionate about what I do, um, and continue to develop as well. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, I'm, I've still got L plates on as, as much as the, the rest of us, you know, I'm still, still learning, still being challenged, still, still stimulated, um, stimulated, sorry. Um, and then in terms of speaking engagements, I was due to speak at, uh, the world football Academy, um, with, Raymond Verhane. Uh, I'm not sure if that's going to be like online or, or not. I, I'm not sure. Um, and then I was also speaking at like a goalkeeper conference in Gibraltar, but that's, again, that's been cancelled and I'm not sure if that's going to be online. Um, and then on the 30th of April, um, I'll be speaking uh, at Charles, um, uh, Charles Ashford's um, nutrition conference. So uh, that's like an online thing. Um, so, yeah, uh, and the, the future of uh, sports nutrition. Uh, obviously, we've got some unanswered questions in terms of like the problems we face in practice. Um, so yeah, we'll just continue to answer those questions, um, and yeah, just continue to learn from like more about behavior change and, and things like that, and and start focusing more so on on that aspect, like actually working with the, the with the people, uh, not necessarily like wider interventions and stuff because i think we're pretty good at periodizing nutrition and um like optimizing recovery and adaptations and all that kind of thing i, th- I think most practitioners are pretty comfortable with that uh, i think that the next step is okay well we really need to get better at influencing people um yeah that's pretty much it 
I think that's brilliant, mate. And like I say, I could I could keep you on here for a good few hours, but I'm not going to take up all your day. You can spend go and spend your time with your little one when you, when they when they're up and about. Um, yeah, thank you very much. Um, I'm sure you'll like that. <laughs> but just in terms of if anyone's got any questions, Matthew, or they or they want to reach out for whatever reason, is there anywhere best to do that? Yeah, so I have um, uh, obviously Twitter. Uh, so Twitter is like probably the best place. I, I I haven't like Instagram as well. But I don't really like do much on there. So my Twitter, I think, is like at Matt Jones NC. Um, my email address, if anyone has any any emails uh, or any like more detailed questions, uh, is matt at mjnutrition.co.uk. Um, and I also we also have a blog with uh, myself and Jace Delaney. It's, uh, it's uh, sport perthx.com um we've put some like pretty interesting things on on that blog no, no, not recently because we've both been incredibly busy jace with uh, the boston celtics and and me with uh, over here in the uk but there are some pretty cool things on there so uh, you can you can check them out as well awesome well i really appreciate you coming on it's been great chatting to you and hopefully we'll get yeah, in the future because i still think there's plenty of areas that we could delve into um, definitely if you're up, yeah, be up for it I'd be glad to have you on again that would be awesome yeah thanks very much for the invitation and this was actually my podcast debut so I hope I did uh, I hope I did the world of sports nutrition proud I think you did mate and I'm, I'm looking forward to getting it out to everyone thanks man cheers mate thanks a lot cheers man bye now bye I hope you enjoyed this episode with Matthew. I certainly enjoyed recording it with him. There was some great information in there. I love chatting to him and it's an area that I I do like talking about because I think there's so many different aspects to it and areas it can go down. So I think there's definitely need for a part two. So it'd be great to hear from you guys regarding what you think and what areas you'd like us to expand on. I know Matthew wanted to emphasize the point that In his practice, he tries to avoid becoming over-prescriptive with his day-to-day programs. And he sees that being over-prescriptive can be very limiting and restrictive in the long run. So the the environment that he tries to create with players allows him to set individual, daily, meal-by-meal targets. And then he, he tries to educate players as well. And that he sees that as being the the key to long term consistent results as well. So I want I know Matthew wanted to emphasise that fact. Um, I think he did get that over in the podcast, to be fair, but he wanted to emphasise it as well. And then, like I said at the start of the episode, a lot of the free resources that Matthew uses are available on his on his website on his blog. So go to sportperfects.com. So it's sport and then P-E-R-F-E-X.com. And you can get some free resources that Matthew uses over on the website, uh, along with a load of quality information regarding nutrition. You can also follow him. So he's on Twitter at MattJonesNC and Instagram um, is M-L-J underscore N-E-S. So go and give him a follow my takeaways were, and it's something that ties into a previous episodes, not so much in terms of nutrition, but in terms of S&C, but he spoke about talking the language of food. And we've spoke about it a number of times, making, making sure that we're using the right language. If we're referring to football and talking to coaches or who we're talking to, we've got to, we've got to speak in their language. So it was good to hear him talk about that. And then I think my biggest takeaway from the episode, expanding your comfort zone. We talk about stepping out of your comfort zone a lot. Matthew spoke about expanding it, and I thought that was a really 
good way of looking at it in terms of putting yourself out there, increasing your knowledge base, increasing your experience base. Um, he spoke about when he's obviously been over to Abu Dhabi and worked with the armed forces and the Saudi national team and all these all these people that he's worked with has obviously allowed him to expand his comfort zone. Um, so I think it's really important that we take from that and, and it's something that we question, are we doing that in our practice or are we comfortably sitting in our role at the moment? And then... The other point was football has been different to sedentary people. So I know a lot of the footballers that we speak to, they'll talk about, um, and we spoke about in the episode, partners talking about certain nutrition protocols or friends talking about certain nutrition protocols. But at the end of the day, we're dealing with professional athletes or we're dealing with athletes. So these are guys that have a different energy requirement. Um, and it's something that we have to take into consideration and I know Matthew touched on that in the episode when he spoke about individualising the nutrition programmes, meeting the needs of the players and all the different aspects that go into that programme from the player to the sport to the position to their injury status Um, there's a lot that goes into the programme, not just a case of I'm going to try this diet and this is something that I'm going to give a go because we have to make sure that we're fueled and ready for performance. So they were my takeaways. I'd love to hear yours. So please get in touch. Drop us an email, mail at footballfitfed.com or drop us a little message on Twitter and then let us know what you think in terms of a part two. I'm really keen to get Matthew on again. Um, I actually said to him that we could have recorded straight away, but we're going to wait and see what feedback we get on the episode. If you guys want any any area of nutrition covered then let us know and we'll get that episode recorded with um, hopefully some questions to Matthew as well if you've got any questions reach out and let us know but massive thank you again for listening huge thanks to everyone that's been over onto iTunes and left a a review Uh, really do appreciate it and I'll speak to you later in the week with the second episode of the week episode 80 cheers guys